Hello, future Peter dropping in here with a more rehearsed <laughs> uh, shout out to an event I'm running at Tabletop Scotland, which is the weekend of, I think it's on the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, so that's the 25th, 26th and 27th of August. We are running a game of Machinations of the Outer Gods, and the event is free. You can just sign up using, uh, there's information on our Facebook page, or you can search for Tabletop Scotland. You do need a convention ticket to get into the event, so you need to buy a Tabletop Scotland convention ticket, and then you can come along to the event for free, but you need to register for the event, uh, and there's links to do that on their website. And that's in Perth, at the the Dua Centre, Dua Centre in Perth. Uh, Pretty centrally located, so it's easy to find. And yeah, it'll be great to see you there. I'm running the event with the the, the help of a couple of my friends, uh, David and Andy. And yeah, it will be really nice to see you. We've got a hand, handful of people already. I think we're up to 15 or so people. Uh, so yeah, the more the merrier. Hope to see you all there. Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly, and we sometimes talk about other games as well. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How you doing? Doing really well. Got the window open, so you might hear the faint sound of birdsong drifting in through the window, which may or may not be appropriate for this week's content. Maybe we could hear some other nature sounds, like the mewing of cats. Potentially, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the prowling of a, of a, oh, what are they called? Romping lutronal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so what we're talking about this week, Frank? We're doing another Earthborn Rangers episode. We're kind of enjoying that we've got excited about this after the expo. And yeah, we are going to just talk a little bit more. Uh, fulfilling one of the kind of pillars of the podcast, right? Yeah. Which is that we quite like to help people develop understanding Yes. of a game. So we wouldn't claim that we're teachers, but we do like to kind of get into the weeds of uh, tips, tricks, guides, that sort of thing. And you've come up with an idea for another Earthborn Rangers game that isn't filled, uh, Earthborn Rangers podcast that isn't filled with spoilers of the game. So yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. That's the idea, yeah. I've, I've put a name at the top. Do you, do you want to tell us what, what the episode's called? You've called this episode Cal Ivers' Beginner Ranger Guide. Yes. So people who are... Does he pop up in the demo? He must pop up in the demo. I, I can't don't remember. know if he does, actually. He's just one of the nicest guys you'll meet in, <laughs> in, in, in the valley. Just a, re, a, real, a real good egg. Yeah, we're not going to do spoilers for no. the the campaign itself, and we should probably just caveat the whole episode with what our experience is and what what we're going to talk about in this episode, in case you're someone either who's not sure you want to play Earthborn Rangers at all, or you're someone who is going to play it and you don't want to be spoiled. So Caliver is a character you meet very early on in the campaign. We won't tell you anything else about it, but once you've met him, you'll get why we've why Peter's chosen this name. Yeah. And our experience, I love that you said this before we started recording, we must be up there in the sort of top five people probably in the world who've played the first day. Yes. yes. A number of times <laughs> we've played the first day because we've done that a lot when we were preparing to demo this at the UK Games Expo. Then also obviously giving the demo at the UK Games Expo. We've seen a lot of the same gameplay loops. And we're playing a campaign together. We haven't got into the main story yet of that campaign, so we're pretty early on. And then we've also both been playing solo and similarly are at the early stage of the campaign. So what we're not going to be doing in this episode is talking about story spoilers or like late game strategy for the campaign. Yeah, We're not really going to talk about the campaign at all because we don't have the experience to talk about it. What we will be talking about is our experience building decks, finding out what works and doesn't work, our experience exploring initial parts of the valley and what we've learned from that sort of tentative exploration. Yes. So that's where, where our experience is grounded. 
anything I'm missing? No, I don't think so. I, I just I would maybe summarize it as, as saying what we hope we can do is give you uh, the, the, some tools to get the best out or the most out of your first few days in the valley, I think. Mm. Uh, and then for, for any any hardcore Arkhamers, we might try and touch on what, what investigators can learn from rangers and potentially vice versa as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. I haven't written any notes on that, Frank, because so that's going to be a fun section to record. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I said to you when we were trying out the game and preparing for demoing it was how much it reminded me of the joy of exploration of Arkham. Do you remember all the way back, you know, the core set comes out and people are like, how do you build a solo daisy deck that, you know, do you put scrying in so you can control for three turns what you're going to draw? That really, um, what's the word I want to use? A sort of naive, maybe innocent way of playing where you don't mm-hmm. have very many cards and you're just trying to find out, well, does this work or not? You know, yeah. there's a time before people saying, look, you need to be two up on standard to pass or you don't want to take a tax opportunity. It was... I really love that that time in a game when it all feels fresh and new and you're you're learning. Yeah. So you've put some great questions to guide us, which we can kind of have hovering over the top of us. Yes. Which are what do I want to know as a beginner ranger? What must my deck be able to do? And then would Caliver give tips? What five tips would he give? You've got a a little bit more than than five tips here. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Turns out Cal is chatty. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. what a what a guy. So yeah, where do you want to start with that? Well, I I think what when you play the campaign, the first thing you'll do is put a deck together, <laughs> and it's hard to do that totally blind with what the the game is going to ask you to do. Mm-hmm. So, sort of wanted to talk initially about what does my deck need to be able to do. Mm. Full stop. I said that. I've, yeah. I've said that like I was going to say more, but I don't have any more. What must no. my what, what what things is it good to have? At, if not in my deck, at least across my my team of rangers. And those are things that you might not know how how hard it is to do those things, but just having a sense of well, I'll need to be able to do X, Y, and Z if we can fill in what what those things are. Yes. So what are your prime ways of interacting with the world of Earthborn Rangers? Well, I guess that the tool is that you you need to place either progress or harm on path cards in order to meet whatever their threshold is. Mm-hmm. One of the, the, the real core mechanics. As you're traveling, you're putting progress on locations. So you're dealing with beings and other things you're meeting, you're putting progress or harm on them to, to, mm-hmm. um, to move them out of your way. So... I would say that that your the, the kind of core interaction is cards or abilities or you know kind of inbuilt abilities that allow you to put progress and harm on those cards. Placing progress and harm really is your core way of influencing the world. And then I think you were just going to take us through stats as well because I think that that ties into that. Yes, it does. So for things like traversing and connecting, where you're putting progress based on your effort, it is a little bit like the succeed by mechanic in Arkham, as in it cares about how much you succeed by because that determines how much progress you place. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting, I think, about playing Earthborn Rangers is you have a stat line that is pretty flat. You've got two twos, a three and a one, and that gives you an amount of energy in that stat that you can spend but then depending on how much energy you put into a test and how many cards you commit that creates your effort and it's that score that actually might matter about progress so in theory a one fitness ranger can traverse a landscape but they're only going to be able to take one traverse test a turn unless they have other ways of using other energy to traverse because they only have one fitness And unless they have lots of cards with the exploration icon on them, it's going to be hard for them to do any kind of big traverse success because their effort is always going to be one, maybe two. So they're only going to be placing progress in small increments. Yeah, And that's, I think, really important to have your head around. The the flip side of it is because the top stat is a three and the bottom is a one, you are generally competent at everything and at a push, Anyone could traverse or anyone could connect because you've got an energy in that thing. You're not a complete dud. And the thresholds for passing are a lot 
I'd say, are pretty generous. And particularly if you're two up on a test, there's only a one in 24 chance that you fail. So you if can you're just... two up, you can't fail. Um, minus two. Oh, so yeah, if you pull a minus two, your effort would then be zero. Sure. So you wouldn't, we wouldn't place any progress. Yeah, that's right. You wouldn't yeah, fail, yeah, yeah. but you yeah. wouldn't place any progress. Yeah, sorry, I was using fail as in fail placing progress rather than actually yeah. fail the test. That, I think, is important to be aware of, essentially, that you have a baseline of competence, but you might need to go big on certain tests if you want to place progress. Yeah, yeah. So so while everyone is competent, and, and just to expand what Frank said a little bit, he, mm. you, you mentioned traverse and connecting quite a bit there. That That's your inbuilt yeah. way of placing progress on, for traversing, that's features and locations, and connecting, that's beings. So I think you, you can probably split a lot of the path deck, so that's that's sort of the equivalent of encounter cards in Arkham, into features mm. and beings. Um, mm. There's probably mm. some other cards in there, but I think most of them will be features and beings. So you're yeah. going to be, if you're clearing these with progress, you're going to be connecting with them, you're going to be traversing them. I would say then that when you're building a deck, what you want to look at is ways of traversing both, well, sorry, you want to look at ways of dealing with <laughs> whether that's mm-hmm. traversing or not features and beings, uh, and you yeah. want a way of putting progress on the location. Now, this this as you've said, Frank, this can be your inbuilt stat. So it can just be you. You know, I've got three fitness. So fitness is the stat that the uh, energy pool connected with traversing. So you know, I'm I've got a pretty good competency at being able to traverse well. That will deal with the location and with features. Mm-hmm. But you might want other ways, you know, you might have cards that key off traversing that allow you to put progress on beings as well. That's mm-hmm. worth looking at. You might have cards that give you a bonus effort when you traverse, something like that, to just boost that stat up so you're not, not relying purely on the energy. I would say the thing, this is one of the things we've noticed, like going from being totally blind to playing the game, the traverse, the traversing and the connecting are really key to uh, making progress with a small p in the game. These are the kind of abilities that you use a lot and you need to think about how you can regularly do them and commit icons to them and, and key off the success of those actions. Yeah. In Arkham, two of the four stats are the progressive stats and two are the sort of defensive stats. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking, I'm thinking there's a similar divide here where fitness and spirit are the ones that add progress to features or beings respectively, and they care about what your effort is. And then the flip of that is awareness and focus. And awareness allows you to avoid enemies and it doesn't care about what your effort is as long as you pass the test you avoid an enemy uh, not an enemy a being and focus allows you to draw cards so they're they're not specifically more defensive abilities but they could kind of be things that you don't always need to do we found that we don't care very much about our focus for drawing cards because if you run out of cards in your deck the, the play session is over the day is over but it's curious to me how there's, there's, I mean, Focus as well cares about what your effort is in terms of how many cards you scout. But we've got two stats that are definitely about how do we put progress on things? How do we control the board and make progress? And then you've got two stats that don't care about that in the same way, just in terms of base actions, common common actions. You've put a really nice note here as well, which is that the game does adapt to how you approach it. And what we've noticed is that initially we felt like, well, if a being comes out of the path deck, we should connect with it and get rid of it. And what we found as we played a bit more is there are normally a few different ways around any obstacle, whether that's a literal obstacle or dealing with a being, that sort of thing. And I suppose our tolerance for having things in within reach of us or along the way and just ignoring them or maybe avoiding something and moving on has grown as we've played. Yeah. You were getting a little bit better at assessing how big a deal is this thing? Do we need to clear it? And if we need to clear it, what options do we have to clear it rather than simply, well, I better start taking spirit tests and connecting with this buck because I don't want this buck around. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this as well, Frank. 
apologies to to diehard fans of EYR who haven't played Arkham, who have somehow stumbled upon this cast. A tool like Evade in Arkham takes an enemy out of contention for a turn mm-hmm. and potentially for the rest of the game if it doesn't move and it's not in a location you need you need to go to. Mm-hmm. However, Evasion, it, it might not be a particularly long... It's, it's quite an action-intensive way of avoiding difficult enemies. If mm-hmm. if 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 one's hunting or uh, you're moving around and it's you don't you know at the same location at it can be difficult. Avoidance in in Earthborn Rangers, which has a similar effect, it it exhausts an enemy. You might spend far fewer rounds at a at a particular location before moving on. So you might mm-hmm. take an enemy out of your way for a much longer period of time by avoiding it. If you do mm-hmm. it early in the round, then yeah. you might have a lot of actions. And because of the way you're not limited by the number of actions you can take in Earthborn Rangers in the same way as you are in Arkham, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're limited by how much energy you can spend, and your energy is spread across three, uh, sorry, four different pools. So if you don't have anything else to spend that that green avoidance energy on, your awareness stat, then mm-hmm. actually it's it's like a free action, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you avoid an enemy, it takes it out for the whole round. And you haven't wasted an action doing that. It becomes a much yeah. more efficient way of dealing with beings than I think evasion might be in Arkham. Mm-hmm. One of your three precious actions in Arkham. Whereas in theory, if you're spending one awareness, it's only one eighth of your energy. It might be a little bit of a freebie, as you say. Yeah, That's, I think, another tension that maybe we'll come on to later about spending energy. One of the things is energy because it has this dual purpose of tests you can take but also cards you can play you're often deciding well like do i want to take an avoid test here do i actually want to just play something with this green energy or neither do i just want to leave the energy and not worry about it there's even i've seen some cards now as we've started to explore the card pool there's cards for awareness that do things if you don't spend your awareness at energy yeah, And that that is fascinating to me because, of course, it makes sense. If awareness is this defensive stat where you're really alert to what's going on around you, maybe not rushing off and trying to do something gives you an ability that it's the opposite of fitness where you go marching across the landscape. And the fact that you're conserving energy allows you to avoid multiple beings, which is really cool. Brilliant. So we've started, we've started talking about energy. Should we go, go on to energy? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. You've put a tip here. Ending your turn with energy is fine. Yes. <laughs> Every ranger has eight energy. That could be eight tests if you put one energy in per test. As we've said already, some tests really care about what your effort is, so you might put in multiple energy at a time. Every time you take a test, you're drawing from the challenge deck, and that means cards in play might come into to effect and that could include the weather the mission you're on you could start having things happen as the world activates even if the test you take doesn't feel like it should do that so i don't think it's that sophisticated a point but you don't have to spend all your energy because taking tests can just make things worse yes but it, while it seems like a simple point, it's an incredibly difficult mindset to get out of coming from any kind mm-hmm. of gaming background. Because yeah. you're, when you see the energy sitting there on the table, you're like, well, I have to spend all this every round. I need, yeah. to, I need to maximize my efficiency. Yeah. But when, when you look at it, there's no, there's no, the, the only limit on the game in terms of how much time you can spend is, is the fatigue you're taking in your deck. Mm. And you're, when you end a round, you draw a card, so you get one thirtieth of the way towards the end of the game, mm-hmm. and you draw a pass card. That that that's the cost of ending a round. The cost mm-hmm. of a bad challenge effect can be much worse than that. And <laughs> um, I, I think we we played the other day, and you took an action, you spent that last energy on an action, and then you ended up taking a fatigue which is the mm-hmm. same as losing a card. And then also you took an injury, mm-hmm. I seem to remember. Yeah. 
So that that was, was raging. Yeah, <laughs> that that's far worse than than ending around with one energy. You, you've kind mm. of like, losing a fatigue. Then you've doubled the amount of wear on your deck, mm. and mm-hmm. like when you start to get into the, the, the weather, will have an effect on your characters all through the game. Mm. When it's when it's sunny and it's nice, that's not a particularly negative effect, but it doesn't take much. I mean, even then, like. There are weather effects even in the nice day, which 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 give you fatigue. Yeah, when the sun's high in the sky, so you start sweating. Yeah, you've got like a thirty percent chance of losing that card to fatigue anyway. <laughs> if it's one icon, mm. that's that's doing mm. uh, doing the fatigue. So yeah, I think like it's it's so easy to think that you have to spend all your energy every turn. You absolutely do not. And when you start maximizing your energy use, you start doing things like you end up drawing more cards which wears through your deck faster. Uh, you start mm-hmm. suffering incidental fatigue and even injuries, which also like burn through your deck quicker as well. Mm-hmm. Please, 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 when you play the game, do not feel you have to spend all your energy. And actually, you know, you can end your turn early. Someone else can keep going for a little bit, playing some cards or doing whatever. Uh, yes. You don't have to end but your turn. But if your day time. ends, everyone's day ends. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so if there's one person at the table who's Burning just through every their turn, <laughs> yeah, using using their focus to remember their range training and draw an extra card, essentially what they're saying is they're going to have 15 turns rather than 30. You know, if they if they succeeded that test every turn, they'd be having half the amount of rounds to play in, which, yeah, when you look at it that way, you're actually spending energy to take away energy you're taking away those eight energy from multiple turns later on because you've sped up. The other thing I'd add to this that is an extra wrinkle about not needing to spend all of your energy, because the number of things you do in a turn changes turn to turn depending on how much energy you spend per action, Mm -hmm. that's where it also can feel quite hard to know that you've done enough. So... An example turn is I could do a traverse, put both of my fitness energy in, maybe commit a card and put, say, four progress on the location. That's my first action. You do an action. And then I spend, say, two awareness energy and play a card that costs two awareness energy. So I've spent half of my energy there and I've only done two things. Yeah. And I might be thinking, well, what am I going to do with this spirit energy? What about this focus energy? Or I might be like, oh, I've got this extra awareness energy left. How do I do something with that? Another turn, it might be that I use the same energy but do multiple actions and it feels like a really long, complicated turn, particularly because you you take it in turns as well. It swaps action to action between ranges. And that, I think, can feel really hard to gauge if you're having a turn where you're doing lots of little things and I just do a couple of big ticket things, our turns don't last the same length of time. Yeah. I might actually end up spending more energy than you in that time. <laughs> and you're knowing, like, am I done here? You're you're still taking actions, but I actually... Should I be doing something with this? It's like an extra element to it of... I guess it, what I've started to notice is what we try and do is read the board better and try and make decisions about our energy based on what we need to do rather than what we can do. Yeah. And yeah, that seems to make a a good difference, I'd say. You mentioned fatigue. Should we talk a little bit about fatigue? Yeah, yeah. This is a fascinating topic and I genuinely think this is one of the most interesting mechanics in the game. Well, should I read what my tip was? Mm -hmm. Uh, This was kind of back towards the the what should should my deck be able to do. Hmm. But what I said is taking fatigue is important because you can then soothe fatigue and soothing fatigue is also important. So I would say your deck probably needs a way to soothe fatigue unless Mm -hmm. someone else in your team has has a lot of soothing power. Just to remind everyone how fatigue works, when you take fatigue, and there's quite a lot of things in the game that cause fatigue, that takes cards off the top of your deck and puts them to one side. Mm-hmm. So that obviously accelerates the end of the day, because the day occurs when you run out of cards. Mm-hmm. However, there are abilities that soothe, and that allows you to draw directly from your fatigue stack into your hand. So the cards in your fatigue stack, although they're, they're set to one side as they're milled off your deck, they aren't discarded. And I would say there's a lot more effects that soothe fatigue than draw cards directly from your deck. 
I would agree. There is, yeah. and actually, some cards recur by putting cards back into your fatigue from your from your discard. It's a way of having sometimes powerful draw effects in the game, but limiting their power because they can't just draw directly from your deck. Not yeah. that necessarily the way the game is set up, you'd want to draw all your deck early anyway, because the game ends as soon as you finish drawing. Not that's the tension, isn't yeah. it? As well, that's exactly so it. So yeah. there's a card, Iron Wool Boots. It's a little one spirit card. It's a piece of gear, and its ability is after you play a moment. So that's the kind of event one and done type cards in EBR. Soothe one fatigue. I can imagine that card in other games would be after you play a moment, draw one card. And this is an example exactly as you say. Like this is a powerful draw engine, but firstly, it's not hastening your day to end explicitly because it's not drawing off your deck. And secondly, you need fatigue for the Iron Wall boots to do anything. If you're if you've played them and then you start playing moments but you haven't actually taken any fatigue, it doesn't do anything. So it's this both powerful draw card and not. And I mean you could even then argue as well, if it's drawing you cards, that means you've already taken fatigue. So you've already hastened the end of your day. And this is where I find fatigue like a really fascinating love wrapping my head around it. If I just draw multiple cards somehow, yes, I'm just speeding the end of the day. If I take fatigue and don't draw those cards, I'm also speeding the end of the day. But if I can soothe that fatigue, the hope is that all of the cards I have in my hand mean I can do more in a turn and pass tests more efficiently and put more progress on things so that I'm not hastening the end of the day somehow yeah <laughs> a little bit like an arkham when you have a big hand archetype and part of that might be i'm going to commit loads of icons to every test like that might be an end in itself to having lots of cards in hand yeah and, and i think we'll talk about it on a future episode but related to this idea of the rhythm of play we've had a few days where it comes towards the end of the day yeah we've got very few cards in deck but we have say 10 cards in hand yeah and i've wondered idly are we playing right like should we be ending days with no cards in hand because we've used every ounce of what we have yeah yeah or not yeah yeah exactly yeah i think i said this to you the other day where i've noticed there's quite a rigid uh like phases of the game in ebr more, more so than other games i've noticed where you mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you spot the points where you transition you know the initial phase of getting set up with your key tools, the mid phase where you're using, you probably have your highest efficiency, where you're able to use the moments and the tools you've got in quite good synergy. And then to mm. the, the, the getting towards the end of the day, where you've used a lot of those uh, for their maximum impact, and you're mm. making that decision of how much more do we try and do with the tools we've still got in play, and yes. all the charges we've built up on those. Uh, and then at what point do we stop? Do we really push on? Do we risk ending the day without camping? Do we try and get one final uh, location? Yeah. Uh, move in? That place. kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, it, it has that kind of rigid structure. One thing I wanted to say about fatigue, if I can bring it back to that. The thing I really like about fatigue is that those because those soothe effects draw your cards, you're incentivized to take some fatigue so that you can then soothe it. Yes. It's a really easy way of drawing cards. The soothe yeah. effects are much more generous than abilities that, that draw cards from your deck. Uh, like, I've been using the Static Sifter, which, mm -hmm. because I'm a forager, is quite easy to keep stocked up with, with tokens, with vittles. Yeah. And that's two cards for each token. So that's just a free two cards during someone's turn. Mm -hmm. However, you need to have taken two fatigue to be able to draw two cards. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it, it, it's a nice, you can't turtle up and do nothing because you will be extremely restricted in how fast you can draw through your deck. Mm. Need to engage with those mechanics. Need to, to get some fatigue. There's a measure of risk there. You are accelerating the end of the day. You know, you might be leaving enemies ready and active mm. to, mm -hmm. to sustain that fatigue. Which then means that their challenge effects might trigger as well. Exactly. So it's 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 a, it's a bit of a measured like calculation, but definitely you want to be aiming to have some fatigue. 
Oh, and of course, the other thing is that predators can spot when you're starting to feel a bit tired. That opens you up to taking injuries. Yes. So yeah. you, I think you want to aim to have a couple of fatigue at any point mm-hmm. uh, so that you're able to soothe it. But, I mean, that, that that's that's a very, very broad rule of thumb. It's not a, not, yeah. not a hard and fast guidance. And that's, again, only what we've observed in our play so far. Yeah, we've seen other ways that fatigue might be soothed that don't come from ranger decks. It's a bit awkward if you trigger one of those abilities without realising it and then you don't have any fatigue. And it's not, I mean, well done, you have no fatigue and you've done this thing, but also you're missing out on an opportunity to soothe fatigue, which feels a little bit bad. I was just thinking, actually, as you were describing that about, you know, what, what amount of fatigue you maybe carry with you, in the Explorer specialty, there are quite a few cards that allow you to dodge cards and when you dodge a card it means it doesn't fatigue you there's even a one of the two um, identities has a dodge ability on it and that leaves me thinking that maybe one of the ways that explorer is slightly different from other specialties is maybe they don't take as much fatigue they're the the sort of the healthy specialty they they can do this all day and they carry on and that will be something that i'm going to keep an eye on as we play more is do maybe the different backgrounds and specialties have different approaches to fatigue? Do they, you know, we know they'll soothe it in different ways because the cards are different, but maybe there'll be some that are happy to take more because they can soothe a lot. And then there'll be others that maybe try to limit how much fatigue they take and just try to eke out as much time as they can from their deck. It's possible. We've talked about fatigue. Yes. We've talked about wanting your deck to be able to do a range of things so coping with locations with features and beings we've talked about ending your turn with energy there's another thing that we've learned which ties in really sort of big picture with what you might want to be doing on your turns and that are you've written down traverse early yeah and this has become really we think this is probably our i think this is my biggest lesson so Hot far tip, in playing yeah. so so i i don't know whether we're missing something obvious with this but it it's it's something that's really worked in our team hasn't it yes uh so just to set the scene you arrive at a location your new location card gets set out that's got a, a threshold on it of usually 2 3 or 4 per ranger so for yeah. us sort of 4 6 or 8 uh, yeah, sometimes maybe I think there has been a five, yeah, so five R. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- that's set out. You do the setup instructions on the location. Maybe that spits out a path card, and then you draw mm-hmm. your path cards for the first turn. Often that's the quietest the location will be, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you can do something to get rid of one or two of those path cards in the first round. Yeah. Because you are, in my experience unlikely to keep up with the rate of path cards appearing mm. i think it might be a bit easier solo but i don't i don't know so you're it's quite an investment of energy to be able to deal with a, every path card that comes out every round mm-hmm. so you get a slow i've said the same things twice here you get like a slow accrual of path cards appearing and path cards typically make it harder to interact with the location because they're between you and the location that you know that they're exhausting you. There's the challenge effects that are starting to occur when you take tests. So that makes it the world gets busier and busier. The world gets busier and busier exactly as you spend more time in a location. So that early point when you first move to a location is a great opportunity to take your traverse tests from your basic tests, put some progress mm-hmm. on the location. It can just sit there at that point. If you can get up to the threshold, if you can dump a load of progress on it so it's up at the threshold, it can just wait until you're ready to travel. There's no reason that you have to travel as soon as it's it's the progress threshold is, is met. And then all you have to worry about is any obstacles. <laughs> yes, yeah. Obstacles could stop you. So as we get more familiar with the different path card sets we'll probably learn, well, hang on, this is one that does have lots of obstacles. We need to keep an eye on this. But yeah, we're so, what essentially what it is in, in sort of story turns is you're arriving in a location, you're having a good walk around of like, okay, this is how we leave, this is where we need to be. And then once you've worked out that trail, maybe we're then spending time solving a mission, looking for a particular person, searching the landscape for something in particular. When we've played, I, I went back and looked at our most recent campaign log We've travelled multiple times each day 
fewest we did was just travelling from Aatrox Mountain to Lone Tree Station and from Lone Tree Station to Boulder Field and then camping en route to Ancestors Grove. So that's still seeing two full, three full locations, Aatrox Mountain, Lone Tree Station and Boulder Field. All of this is to say that essentially having that progress done at the quietest time is really handy because then as soon as you need to leave, you can leave. And it's a lot harder to put that progress on when you've got a caustic mulcher with three um, three presents fatiguing you for three every time you want to traverse. There's also then a difficulty three to try and avoid it. Oh, no, avoid does, does avoid care about presents? I think it does, yeah. It difficulty is the difficulty. presence of the card, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's also an incredibly hard test to avoid. So it's really nice. The other thing about traveling is when you travel, all path cards within reach along the way get cleared away yes so that's the other reason why me spending some time i don't know connecting with a prowling wool hunt which is six progress to clear if we don't actually need to clear it for any purpose beyond because i don't want it around yeah a much easier way of clearing it is just leaving yeah hit the bricks yeah so yeah it could be avoid it once traverse put a load of progress on the location and then maybe i'm spending the rest of my energy doing other things maybe i just accept that that's sitting within reach of me and as long as you can do things on your turns i just won't interact past it yeah and then when we leave we leave yeah absolutely yeah and i think the the other thing i'll add is that there are quite a few effects i've noticed maybe it's just ones i've taken which can move progress around cards as well so sometimes mm-hmm. having a bank of progress cards that you can dip into, it's not mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I feel like there's a point in here that you've already hinted at, which is about clearing path cards and how how we prioritize that and assessing any given situation for what needs to go. But that's probably when we do Caliver's intermediate ranger guide. We'll save that point for there because it probably requires a bit more knowledge and and nuance for thinking about. Um, because we've had some situations where we're very bogged down and then we look at the, you know, look at the, the board and say, well, yeah, we are bogged down, but actually none of these cards are important to us right now in terms of what we need to do. Yeah. So let's just careen past them and get out of here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I, what I wanted to say, and I think it sort of ties into the next point, what we've found is... I don't want to say like a fast and loose style, but actually this ties together a lot of the points we've talked about, which is not overstaying in a location, not worrying about dealing with every single path card. Mm. That's a, that's a, that seems to be the way we've played that gets the most out yeah. of the game. Uh, and it was weird P- because... Partly it, the missions we've had. Yeah, potentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's weird, it's, it's almost... Because we've demoed the game quite a lot. And when you demo the game... It's you're explaining the rules to people and you want to go around the table and make sure everyone's happy they've played all the cards they can play in that first round uh, before you you potentially travel. Mm -hmm. Actually, maybe that's not how you would play the game if you were going to get the most out of it. Not worrying about every path card, keeping keeping moving. If you've got a goal and that's a few locations away, just focus on traversing, travelling. And if you're not playing cards and you don't need to deal with the path cards... You could just end your turn, or end mm-hmm. end your um, end your round rest. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So just like kind of keep on your feet, keep moving, and that seems to be like a, a really nice way to play the game. You just like mm. you see all these things as you move past them. You're not getting bogged down connecting with every single book. It leans into, I guess, the theme, the mo of of the game, which is trying to be at one with nature. Yeah. At first, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm at one with nature. I connect with everything. And then you realize, actually, just leave them be <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say as well, any day begins with the map. And that's that's been something that I've really enjoyed that we didn't necessarily experience in the demo, which yes. is once we've played and when you start a day and you have a mission, you can say, right, okay, we need to do the following thing. I'm not going to go into the missions for, for spoilers. We need to do the following thing. Where do we think we'll be able to do that? Can we plot a course here that could do that? And that means our focus has then been much more about where we're going and much less on doing something at a specific place or just hanging around. Yeah. And actually at the point at which we've paused our 
our campaign. We're just about to be in a location where we probably are going to want to hang around and explore more one place. Yes. So it might be quite interesting when we next play. Maybe we won't travel at all for a day. Or maybe we'll immediately get a mission and be off, you know, travelling. How many locations have we... It's five? Was it five locations? We do four and then five on two days in in our multiplayer campaign. I can run us through it. Day one, we did Lone Tree to White Sky, White Sky to Golden Shore, Golden Shore to Northern Outpost, and then we camped on the way to Aatrox Mountain. Yeah. Day two, we did Aatrox Mountain, Lone Tree Station, Boulderfield, and then camped to Ancestors Grove. Yeah. And then day three, we did Ancestors Grove, Boulderfield, Kobo's Market, and we camped en route to Spire. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been moving quite a bit, haven't we? Yeah. And I guess this ties into the last point, which was the real, I mean, I think, a character literally says this to you, which is go and explore the valley. There's yeah. there's plenty of time from what we've heard from people who've, you know, kind of got through the campaign. And again, we can't speak from any position of authority here. There's more than enough time to get everything done. And if there's anything you miss, you can play it again and pick it up. So mm-hmm. don't don't feel that time pressure. There's plenty of time to do things, plenty of time to explore. And if someone mm-hmm. does need you, they'll come to you and find you. So there's yeah. there's no you're not going to miss the main the main plot or anything like that. Yeah, just if if you want to go and see a place, work your way towards it. You can probably get there relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly if you're doing the Frank and Peter patented arrive in a location and <laughs> yeah, just leave it instantly. Leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just sprinting across the landscape, not pausing. Yeah. Now, is there anything we can learn from being investigators in Arkham Horror that we want to apply at this point? Or is there anything playing we could learn to take back to playing Arkham? Well, it's a difficult one because I, I think we've, what we've done is highlighted some of the differences. I think in... I, I was trying to get this across to you like when we walked around the, the riverbank in Ilkley on our way back from the expo, which is that the, the, the granularity of fatigue in Earthborn Rangers allows for a much a much broader range of kind of acceptable harm being caused to your character. Mm-hmm. So one fatigue, as I've said, I think fatigue is actually something you want to seek out on occasion so that mm-hmm. your soothe effects are turned on. One fatigue is a, is a much smaller resolution of harm than, say, one damage or one horror in Arkham. You can only take horror what, between five and seven times, five and nine times, sorry. Yeah. And that's your character out of the game. And you can you can heal, yeah, you might not get your healing effects, but fatigue, you can take 25 times, ultimately, without it, without mm. it, without it ending the day. Mm-hmm. That resolution is quite a bit finer. Not just that you can take it without ending the day, but that it might, if you can soothe it, that 25 fatigue is also beneficial. Yes, yes. I mean, it, it speeds the day up, but apart from that, it, there's no other negative there. And, and even then, the things that cause you fatigue aren't automatically doing fatigue. There's not attacks of opportunity, there's not an enemy phase for these things to attack you, mm-hmm. and it's much easier to avoid things causing fatigue. You can, you can evade them, or avoid them rather that's that's relatively easy to do you can anyone has got a good chance of of dealing with a path card in front of them you can also just travel out the location and then it's gone these aren't really options that are open to you in arkham arkham forces you much more to deal with and in fact it's an archetype isn't it to be to be the character who deals with the effects of the mythos deck whether that's treacheries whether it's enemies you know you can build like daniela can I think it's an acceptable archetype to build a Daniela character who just tanks treacheries and enemies out the encounter deck all day long. Let's the other characters yeah. kind of get on with the day job. Plays first watch, takes all all cards on herself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that 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 that's a big difference. That your yeah. skill at there's a much broader range of things which you need to deal with to things that you can ignore safely. Mm-hmm. I think in Arkham, there's far fewer things you can safely ignore. That window where there's some decision yeah. to be made is much wider in Earthborn. Mm. So that's something investigators can't learn from Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> I would also say, and maybe this is something you can learn by it being a difference, that in Earthborn Rangers, everyone is a generalist. 
to a greater or lesser extent. Whereas in Arkham, there's an emphasis on specialism. Mm. And in the life of Arkham, the emphasis on how specialised you are has ebbed and flowed. And, you know, for a while, there was an idea that if you're playing two-handed, you run two generalists who can do sort of everything. So you don't get stuck with, say, your clue getter being bogged down by enemies and the fighter having to deal with everything or vice versa. But generally speaking, I would say when we think about building an investigator in Arkham, we think about a specialism. And I think what we could learn from that for Earthborn Rangers is because you have stats that can do, you're generally good at everything, you don't need to specialise as much. And in fact, that might hinder you because if you really specialise into, I'm going to be this traversing expert, you've got three other pools of energy that you're essentially squandering and everything ends up in that one bracket. Yes. And so actually what we like is, you know, we've even talked in four-player in Earthborn Rangers, you can't rely on one person to put, say, 16 progress on the location. Yeah, That's yeah, just going to take them so many turns. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. So you'd want everyone to acknowledge, I can do this. And one thing I've noticed in my deck building in Earthborn Rangers is early on I was like, oh, okay, my focus is connecting, so I'm going to make sure I have a lot of cards with the heart symbol, which is the connection symbol, because that's what you use for the connect test. And then realising, now I've got all of these hearts in my hand, and I can't really traverse because I've got no exploration icons, I can't avoid because I've got no conflict icons. And going now, my deck building has shifted to, I want more of a range. Yeah. And, you know, early days of Arkham, maybe you would run manual dexterity over power perception and you'd say, look, I can do a bit of everything. And as the games develop, people have said, well, look, you don't really need to run those skill cards because you're not doing those tests. And maybe we need to take a bit more of that early Arkham energy of be able to do a bit of anything. And that's really useful in EBR. Okay. Uh, there was a, a, a bit of a preview of Earthborn Rangers on the Shut Up and Sit Down cast mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. I don't know, did, did, you get, did you get a chance to listen to that or not? No, I didn't listen to it. One thing Matt said, which I think uh, struck... He said a couple of things which, which really struck true with me. And I think one of them is that air of exploration. Mm-hmm. Like, there's... There's a lot of really subtle, interesting things about the way the game ends up playing, which aren't immediately obvious when you you create your deck and you sit down to start playing it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> As an example, the the flow of fatigue across the players. As we s- said earlier, everyone the the day ends for everyone when anyone's deck runs out. So mm-hmm. if someone has burnt through the deck faster, that sort of means the other players can accelerate their burn through their deck to catch up. So you can take more incidental fatigue, you can draw more cards. And that wasn't something that was obvious to me when I first started playing it. <laughs> you might have turns where one person rests early and then another one keeps going. And then a, f- a few rounds later, that'll be flipped round. So one person rests and then the other person takes more actions or has more turns. We, I think we even had that, didn't we, where you had, say, six cards left in deck and I had something like 11? Yes, and it's like, I can really go for it now. Yes. It doesn't matter if I fatigue because I'm not ending the day for both of us. I'm just catching up with you. Yes. Yes, exactly, Frank. And that, that little things like that pop up quite often. Mm-hmm. And that, that feeling, I hope what we haven't done in this episode to anyone who's listened is, is taken away any of the mystery of those little things that you discover as you're playing. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I wanted to communicate here was this idea that you can you can play the game in a way that is kind of more fun. I don't want to say there's a right and a wrong way to play, but we found yeah. that exploring the options for how how fast we progress, uh, what kind of actions we prioritize, there was some exploration to do in that in our group in order to find the way that worked best for us. Mm-hmm. This could mm-hmm. of course be related to the kind of characters we're playing, the kind of way we like to play games. Absolutely. The fact that we're exploring the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it could be related to all of those things. But what I hope we've done is in given some people like the benefit of our core experience of things we think is has helped us and encouraged people to build on that and kind of explore the game themselves. Yeah. I th- I mean, I would add to that then. Maybe we could have said this at the start, but we can say it at the end. 
just to re-emphasize, we're by no means experts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a position we have often tried to adopt talking about Arkham Horror is this is our subjective experience and we're going to share it with you because we're passionate about it and we hope it's useful to you. But if you want to let us know something that we've missed or you disagree with or that you have different ideas about, that's absolutely fine as well. And the exchange of knowledge can be two-way. It's not us sitting and uh, didactically explaining to you how to play Earthbound Rangers. Far from it. It's informed by our excitement about learning it, and we hope that you'll enjoy learning it too. Yeah, at that point you made, I think, about learning within a group how how things work. So like um, in our group, because you have high spirit, in theory you're the, the connecting with beings character. But actually, I have two spirit, so I can do stuff too. And I've got a few cards that add progress to beings and I can manipulate beings and things like that. And learning how that fits, that when a difficult being turns up, I don't just turn to you and go, Peter, deal with that. We between us go, well, how much can you contribute? Yeah. That that kind of collaborative effort feels really rewarding and really enjoyable discovering. And, 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 you know, just just to take it, take us back a step to when you were talking about, you know, a 16... Uh, mm. threshold location if you've got a team of four people and you've got the spread of fitness values across the across the team mm. you know one person with three progress if they if they're they're succeeding at three effort on every single test it's going to take them six rounds six rounds to yeah. get enough on there but across the team you've actually got what one two three four five eight. six seven yeah. eight so that's two rounds of everyone's fitness energy and the mm. other characters aren't necessarily like the the character of two fitness. Are they playing many fitness cards? I don't know, mm. but they, they can yeah. take that test at two, maybe with an icon from their hand, mm-hmm. and and have a good chance at succeeding. So yeah, th- I think like what you've said, the, the core competence of all the characters at all the tasks. That's something I think is really really important and, and a, a kind of unique thing that Earthborn brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the most pure I'm helping. You can do everything. You can help with loads of different things. Cool. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. As ever, you can get in touch with us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, on Twitter for as long as that lasts. And we're also on Patreon if you want to become a patron of the cast. And you can buy merch from Designed by Humans as well. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United Everywhere. I'm on well hang on this has changed i'm now on blue sky and i'm not checking my twitter account wow okay so i'm at it was at united but i think it's dot b sky dot social whatever it is i can't remember what what the the core appendages are for blue sky but yeah you know please say hello if 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 we're on blue sky i'm on i've totally lost my flow now i'm on discord as at united (laughs) i'm on instagram as the dot united and a bunch of other places. If you see a United somewhere, that's probably me. So yeah, say hello. How about you, Frank? Yeah, I'm around the place as Zoe Glass and Zozo. I am still intermittently checking my Twitter, but it's very much your ex. Yeah, exactly. Checking your exes, xing around, yeah. re-xing. Yeah, absolutely appalling. So yeah, please say hello, <laughs> and thanks very much for listening. Thanks all.